church is for you, but it's not about you. Um, we're in the series called Selfless. And uh, how do you guys feel when you hear that? Church is for you, but it's not about you. Do you feel like a little defensive? Like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's totally about me. Um, or do you feel maybe a little like um, jaded or, or, or um, um, betrayed or something like that where um, we've been told, and I was actually talking with somebody earlier this week, like, and I don't think this is wrong at all, right? We talk about um, there is a huge benefit when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely, right? We know that. But unfortunately, we kind of we kind of present it like that's all there is to it, right? It's about what I get out of my relationship with Jesus or it's about what I get out of church. It's about what I get from being here and the emotional experience or whatever, the entertainment Adults riding tricycles, whatever it is, whatever your thing is. Um, but we've, we've kind of made church about us, right? We've kind of made church about us. One of the things that um, often is on my mind is um, when we, we uh, are worshiping and we're singing songs and, you know, are we singing songs because we want to glorify the Father? Are we singing songs that... Um, you know, are talking about all these things that he does for us. Again, I'm not saying those are necessarily bad things because I think we should absolutely celebrate what God is doing in our lives. We absolutely should. Um, in fact, I think that we don't talk about our testimonies and things like that enough in church. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. And I think that's where we've missed it a little bit um, in the Christian church these days. So um, anybody ever been to a movie and like somebody in the movie, it's like a dark spot and they pull out their phone and it's like super distracting. Uh, my wife and I, we were um, watching, by the way, don't go see old. It's dumb. <laughs> I'm actually an M. Night Shyamalan fan. Like I, I really like his stuff, but uh, yeah, that movie was pretty terrible. So, um, but right in this part, this kid's like, going through a cave and it's really, really dark and the person right in front of us pulls out their phone and here I have this huge like 50 foot movie screen but the thing that has stolen my attention is this little five inch screen phone like two rows in front of me. Light directs our attention. Light directs our attention. In fact, we talk about this a lot in, in production. If, if you guys... Um, it, Zoe, you probably know this from, from theater. Did you take theater? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Woo. Okay, I got that right. Um, yeah, like you in production, theater production, you can direct everybody's attention in the audience by just shining a light on something. Everybody's going to pay attention right there to that one thing. And um, it's interesting, as I was kind of preparing for this, I was checking out, like, do people still operate spotlights, you know? And actually, on Broadway, they still operate these old antique spotlights. And they have lamps, and there's no technology. And the thing that was interesting is they said, look, um, because there's no technology involved with this stuff, what you shine a light on is 100% a direct result of, like, your body position, right? So what you've, you know, there's no messing it up. But what you've decided to shine a light on is what gets lit up, and that's where people's attention is drawn to. And uh, I think that's a lot about how we live. I think all of our lives shine a spotlight 
on something. Okay, when, when we, uh, you guys have heard this before, like you can tell what somebody cares about if you look at their schedule in their bank account. You can tell what's most important to somebody in life if you look at their schedule and their bank account. We shine a spotlight on something. All of us do. So my question this evening, what I want to challenge you and pray that you would think about this evening is what is your life shining a spotlight on? We're going to be in John 3 tonight. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, um, just want to give you a little bit of context before we jump into the passage. Um, We're going to talk about two Johns tonight, by the way, so it can get a little confusing. We're going to talk about John the author who wrote the gospel, Uh, and then we're going to talk about John the Baptist, and so I'll uh, refer to both of them, hopefully in a way that's not confusing, and just follow along with me. Uh, But John the author, as he's writing his gospel, the first three chapters, he's kind of revealing who Jesus Christ is layer by layer. And it's really neat. Chapter 1, we see that Jesus Christ is the eternal word of God made flesh and walking among us. It's really beautiful. And then we see uh, the second, that he's the second person of the Trinity who's come to bring salvation to fallen humans. And in the first three chapters, we also see John introduce different elements of who Jesus is through different characters and different events. So one of those, John the Baptist, he says, uh, behold, Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Christ, the King of Israel. We learn that through John the Baptist, um, the wedding at Cana. We see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament system of sacrifice. He's saying, look, that's, you don't need to do that anymore because I've fulfilled it. Jesus acts like the king and the Messiah when he busts into the temple and overthrows tables and and tries to purify worship. And then he shocks everyone when he says, look, you don't even need to go to the temple anymore to meet with God. It's me right here. And see, and then John, the author, shows us a story where Jesus interacts with a guy named Nicodemus. And Jesus is talking about how he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies of new life. And that all of those, those are fulfilled in him. And all of that that happens when he as the Messiah is put on the cross shortly after this. So we see this beautiful, in fact, uh, one of the things that I love about looking at the various gospels is asking the question like, why did this gospel writer include this story where others didn't? Or uh, why did this person not include these things? Sometimes that question is just as important. And as we're looking at the different gospels and and, uh, you have um, the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John is not considered one of those because it is Very different from the others. And I love John because, uh, not because of his name, uh, but actually because he's very different. The other gospel writers were really trying, it seemed like, to provide like a chronological order of Jesus' life for the most part. There's some some differences. But for the most part, it seemed like they were trying to provide an account of Jesus' life. Not John. John was, he had a, a, a theological narrative that he wanted to bring across, and that was letting us know who Jesus was. 
And so early on in his gospel, he goes through all these I am statements. And this is a really, really big thing for John is he wants you to know who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that he is here to save the lost, that he is changing things up. He's doing a new thing. So we're going to jump into um, John chapter 3, verse 22. After this... Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was a plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. If you come here on Thursday nights when we have open gym and we're playing volleyball, it gets pretty heated and, 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 and competition can get intense, right? Competition's intense. Anybody ever like have a friend and you think you know them and then you go play like some sport with them or something and something entirely different emerges, right? They are like competitive on a level that you never imagined and you're like, that's kind of scary a little bit. Yeah, okay. Um, I kind of feel like that's kind of what was going on here, right? This, this story is kind of setting the stage. John, the author, is setting this stage for kind of like what's going on between Jesus' ministry and John the Baptist's ministry. They're in similar place. They're doing a similar ministry where they're preaching and they're baptizing. And they're setting the stage. It's almost like you, you open a store. Right, and you're the only shop in town that's selling whatever, and you've got lots of business, and then you hear that there's a new store, there's a competitor, and all of a sudden, your people are starting to go that way, and I feel like that's kind of what's happening here, right? John the Baptist came first, and he's baptizing, and he's preaching, and his disciples, just his followers, the people that, were, that he was teaching, they noticed, they took notice that there were people that were going to Jesus, and obviously, a Jew brought it up and said something like, hey, uh, is something wrong with your baptism? Because these people are going to Jesus. Does that mean your baptism is no good anymore? Or like, what's going on there? And so they brought this up to John. And they said, you could tell they're kind of upset because they totally exaggerate. And it was it kind of sound like a, uh, I don't know, a, a kid complaining kind of a moment where they're like, everybody's going to Jesus. They're all going to Jesus. And obviously it wasn't the case, right? He's still ministering, but obviously they're upset and they don't see the big picture. They don't see the big picture, even though they already know it. This is what's crazy. Uh, verse 27. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. 
He must become greater. I must become less. You guys probably have heard of John chapter 3 before, right? It happens to contain um, one of the verses that's probably the most popular Bible verse of all time, right? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. Um, and, and yeah, that's amazing, you know, and, and Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus, and, and um, it's just interesting to me that John, the author, decided to put these stories right next to each other. It's almost like he's contrasting how Nicodemus was approaching Christ with his questions, and, and, um, and then we see John the Baptist who actually gets it. He gets it. And we see that in this paragraph. It's a beautiful paragraph. And he actually has, John the Baptist has two responses here. Um, the first one, verse 27, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. If you have your Bible here, I would flat out highlight that, underline it, whatever you got to do, write it down. This is huge wisdom that, that John the Baptist is dropping on us. I can, in fact, uh, when I was preparing this message, I was thinking to myself, like, I wonder how he actually said it, right? We get the words, but we don't get the body language. We don't get the voice tone and inflection and all of that stuff. And I just wonder, like, how did he say this? How did he respond to his disciples? Was it like he was clenching his teeth and his emotion was tempered with real aged vintage wisdom, right? person can receive only what is given them from heaven. What is he saying? He's saying, look, these people are going to Jesus because God is giving them to him. God is giving those people to Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. That's an amazing thing. In fact, that was what was planned the whole time. I believe, personally, in this age of social media, it is so easy to get trapped in this cycle of comparison and jealousy and envy as we, uh, and I get sucked into it too, right? You're scrolling through Facebook and um, Instagram, whatever, and you see pictures of people that you know, and you see them in amazing places, doing amazing things, and you're thinking, what am I doing with my life? I'm sitting on my couch. Are you kidding me? I'm a total waste. I'm a total failure. These people are in, you know, Amsterdam or whatever, and, and I'm just, I'm losing it. I'm missing life. We get into this trap of comparison and envy, I just want to encourage you this evening that if you want to create a hostile environment, a hostile atmosphere for jealousy and envy, grasp onto this concept. Grasp onto this concept that people, whatever they have that's good has been given by God. A person can receive only what is given from heaven, a heart that's latched onto this truth, latched onto this truth, that whatever is given is given from God. It's going to be dangerous for envy and jealousy. 
Because that kind of a heart is going to realize that they have those things because God gave those things to them. When I was in Bible college, um, you know, you're, you're there and you're studying and you're being equipped for, you know, studying the word and, and preaching and all these things, right? And it's pretty typical that, you know, guys uh, and ladies um, get invited to go into different ministry settings pretty quickly, okay? Uh, we, I was in the Nazarene church and, and most of their churches are pretty small and so they're bringing people in quick and, and um, it's really, really easy to fall into this place of like, Oh, you know, you hear um, somebody say, hey, I just got a pastor. I'm taking over a church. And you're thinking like, wow, that's crazy. That's awesome. And, you know, and it's like you want to be excited for them because that's amazing. That's cool. But deep down inside, it's like, man, I don't know. That's, I wish I was there. And so I kind of get where where these guys are coming from and, and their concern. It's like all these people Jesus' ministry is eclipsing John the Baptist's ministry, and they're worried. They're worried. Are we going to have anybody else left to minister to? We see John the Baptist's other response, which I believe is kind of an elaboration on this idea that every good thing comes from the Father, right? Um, He goes on to use this interesting language. He says, I've been telling you from the beginning, I'm not the Messiah. So don't get used to it. Don't get attached to me. I'm not the Messiah. And then he goes in, he starts using this language about a bride and a bridegroom. What is he talking about? Is this a marriage? What's going on here? And the idea, and then he goes on, he talks about a friend listening for the bridegroom, right? And he's actually talking about himself. The idea here is that the the friend of the bridegroom organized the wedding, planned the wedding. He's been present. He's been waiting. And it's dark. And he waits by the, by the, um, the marriage chamber. And he's, his job is to make sure nobody else but the bridegroom goes in. And it's dark. And so when he hears the voice of the bridegroom, he's like stoked. He's here. He's arrived. He's here. He's arrived. That's what John the Baptist is talking about. He's like, man, we've been laboring the the voice in the wilderness. I was called to, to point to this guy. This is exactly what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for this guy to come, and I'm pointing right now at him, and he is the Messiah. And what does he say? He says, my joy, my excitement, my anticipation is complete in the reality that He is here. Jesus is here. And because of that, he must become greater and I must become less. The statement is amazing because it runs in the face of all of our flesh. I want to be liked by people. I want to be accepted and, and acknowledged and loved. And we all do, right? It's on, it's on, you know, um, what's it? called the, the hierarchy of needs, right? Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We, we all want to be loved and accepted and, and, um, and this idea that I have to become less flies in the face of all of our, all of our vain desires to, to you know, have people oogle over us or, or make a big deal out of us or 
was hard, but he got it. He got it. The church is for you, but it's not about you. In fact, the church was inaugurated originally, just like John the Baptist was brought to point to the Christ, point to the Messiah. The church was inaugurated to do the same thing, to point to Christ. That's our mission. My question this evening is, are we accomplishing our mission or are we shooting ourselves in the feet, right? Who is it that said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians? Gandhi. Are we accomplishing our mission as the church? So, a couple of things to um, just jump into as we close here and the band can come up. Um, Make God more in your life. Make God more in your life. He must become greater and I must become less. A couple things, just how do we do that? A couple of practical things. Um, Seek God's direction when we're making a decision, right? When we are making a decision about the path of our life or where we're headed, at least let Jesus have a seat at the table of what we decide. Number two, live counterculture. Care more about what God thinks of you than others. This is hard. This is a challenge for me, for all of us. I thank God throughout the day, not just for the big things, but for the little things. We talked a couple of weeks ago about thanking him for things that didn't happen. That's definitely good too. The next thing is that when we shine the spotlight where it belongs, it directs our attention also. I don't know if you got that. When we put the spotlight where it belongs, it directs our attention too. When we're pointing to Jesus, we're pointing to Jesus. That's a truism, right? We're seeing him. We're looking at him. I can't tell you, and and anybody in here who's ever been in a ministry setting, if you have connected with somebody and pointed them to Jesus, it ministers to your heart too. Ministers to your heart too. So when we point to Christ, it draws us closer to him. So that's something else. And lastly, just want to challenge you, like going back to the beginning, this whole idea of, of light directs our attention and just the, the posture, shining a, a spotlight, the posture of my life shines a, po- a spotlight. What is your life spotlighting? I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> what is your life spotlighting? What light is your life shining on? How's your posture? How's your heart posture? Are you okay with fading into the background while people marvel at what Jesus has done? 
think if if I'm honest I probably spent way too much time in my life worrying about what everybody else thinks and I think it's hard being okay with fading into the background we live in a world that says if it's going to be, it's up to me, right? I'm going to determine my own success. You got to drive it. You got to make it happen. Nobody else is going to make it happen for you. I've read all those books. I've been to all those seminars. And it messed up my head so bad. Because I bought this lie that if I was going to be successful in life, if I was going to be on the right path, if I was going to do these things, it was 100% up to me. And so all of a sudden, it's about me making a name for myself. All of a sudden, it's about me uh, being having a good career. All of a sudden, it's about me getting this degree. And, it's, and then I, it's hard to fade into the background, to become less so that he can become greater um, one of the things I'm a huge fan of is kind of putting our bodies in a posture that our heart wants to be especially in times of worship and I want to try something we've never done this before and this might be the first time you've ever done it I just want to challenge you guys this evening I'd like to put into practice what we're learning and what I'd love for you guys to do, if you wouldn't mind, as we get ready to sing this next song, is just to close your eyes. As you're sitting, we start this song. And if you feel permission to do so, I'd love for you to just kneel before the Father. Think about this posture. This posture is that I would become less. When we're down here and we're looking up, we're worshiping the Father. I think this is a good perspective. This is a good perspective that I need to become less and he needs to become more. And that's how we become the church. That's how we win over a, wor a world that thinks we're a bunch of phonies, a bunch of hypocrites, because we sit here and we worship God, but then we leave here and we live life like we're the superstar. So if we could, as we jump into the song, just if you guys would just have your eyes closed and if you feel led, just to kneel and, and worship as we sing this next song. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. The truth of this passage, the truth of this passage is that people were coming to you because you were worthy of our worship. I think about that song, you're worthy of it all. God, you are worthy of our worship. Father, I pray that as we enter into this physical posture of kneeling, that our hearts would experience a humility before you, before your throne that we would get a perspective maybe that we've never seen before at the feet of Jesus kneeling and bowing to your, your lordship and your authority in our lives because you love us and you care.
care about us. Help us to be the church that you envisioned. God, help us to unite as a community and, and impact the people around us, the world around us. Help us to stop being these hypocrites that we, we come here and we, we uh, exalt him with our lips, but we deny him with our lifestyle. Help us to live a life where we lift you up, you are greater, and we become less. And we're okay with just fading into the background. In Jesus' name.